Blog Talk Radio. Today, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe, it is 0600 hours Eastern, or Romeo for you nautical types, Pin 100 Greenwich, or Zulu time. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy, and I'm William Eastman, Managing Partner for Applied Knowledge Labs North America, better known around here as the Labs. We are a business research company that is changing the formula of success for companies between zero, that means all you great startups up there, up to $50 million in revenue. And I'm your host now for the next 30 minutes, and today's show is show four of a series of 43 around the best practices of fast and sustainable growth. And the specific best practice that we're going to focus on today is product to knowledge. But before we start, how do you play? Well, couple ways to join us. One is that you can click chat now at our show page, which is blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder, T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. You can call into the switchboard and join us on the air at 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. You can tweet me, not tweet, because I'm not a bird, twit me on Twitter at W. Eastman, uh, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N. And, of course, there's always our blog sites. Uh, the one that carries the show notes has a link on the show page, and that is my blog, The Rudder. And you can either find it through the link or you can Google it, The Rudder Blog, uh, R-U-T-T-E-R. As we talked about before, The Rudder is an old uh, Dutch term, for Ruter, which was a series of charts that a ship that a pilot would have. And I think in one of our earlier shows we talked about uh, what does that really mean, and that is back in the old, old days, uh, ship's captains were more of the administrative head of the boat. They were not the head navigator. And ships would hire a pilot who had a book or a set of rudders, which were secret charts, that nobody possessed that would show them how to navigate around the world, especially where the hazardous zones were, the rocks and the shoals and the reefs. And that's what we do. That's who we are. We know where all of the rocks are and the shoals and the reefs as you're trying to grow your company. So you can go to that blog site and get the latest show notes. So where we are in this series, as I said, we're in show 443, and the idea behind these 43 was this. As we did our research for three years starting in 2002, and then in the years that we've been applying and learning um, and seeing its impact on companies, at the seven years total that we've been engaged in this business, what what we understand is that the difference between the companies that make it, the companies that become market dominators, the companies that go from zero to IPO, the companies that go to zero to billion, the companies that go from nothing to owning their markets, 
there are 34 best practices that those companies engage in. Those best practices are, all, are not necessary all at once. They develop over time. And we had a whole series of this, and I'll go back to some shows, a whole series that said there's stages of growth the company goes to uh, and that these best practices become important by stage. So as you build your company for your first major growth spurt, at the end of that growth spurt, these best practices should be in place. And that either the best companies did these while the others didn't or they did them better. Now, we broke this into four categories because we see there's four general groupings of best practices, and that was market intelligence, brand and strategy, operations, <coughs> excuse me, and talent. And we are talking about the second best practice of the three that make up market intelligence. And today's show, we're going to talk about product knowledge, and what we're going to do is we're going to break that down into greater detail when we talk about the four attributes that make that up. And remember, attributes are what were the behaviors. So what I'm going to cover are what exactly did those companies do. Okay, so product and knowledge, what do I mean by that? Well, that's understanding how your customer uses your products and services to drive continuous improvement of your existing offer and development of new products and services. I'll say that again. It's understanding how your customer uses whatever it is that you sell to them, your products and services, and that information drives the continuous, either drives either the continuous improvement of that offer or gives you new ideas for products and services that you can further offer. And so that's what we're going to focus in on here and what are those four attributes. Let me overview those and then deal with them in detail. The first one is customer-driven strategy. In other words, when, however you build strategy in your company, some people call it business plans, other call it strategic plans. It doesn't matter to me. Apples, oranges, it's all fruit. The deal is, is that all business plans, all strategies have a series of initiatives that you're going to do over this period of time. One of those initiatives must be around customers. Number two, it looks at the, the amount and the degree and the type and the quality of contact that, the, that the, not just the owner executives, but anybody in a leadership role has with the customer and the accounts. Number three, looks at client development. Now, another term for client development is business development, but how do we, once we've got them, how do we work and develop them? And that is a core process and a major failure point for a lot of small companies as they grow. And then the fourth one, and this is a theme that you've heard from me throughout all the shows, and is the issue of market research, is that how much is market research part of the fabric of the firm? So those are the four attributes. Now, let me take those four and let me break them down. Um, Customer-driven strategy, all right? What does that mean? That is business strategy. Your business strategy is designed to improve performance with existing accounts. And so depending upon what format you use to develop or design strategy, there are several out there. We have one that we are comfortable with because it fits our business model. And if you want to hit me up uh, in the chat room or you want to hit me up with an email, and I can always be reached at eastman at aklabs.org, A-K-L-A-B-S dot O-R-G. Um, I can give you a couple of different models. I'm not a proponent of one. Pick the one that fits 
your style as an executive as well as fits what your business is doing. But what that says is that a minimum of one of those initiatives must have in it something that looks at current performance of the company, pure and simple. If you're not looking to improve what you're doing with customers, then you're going to, by definition, get worse. Now, in some cases, this may take the form of a sales initiative or taking a look at how you're improving sales because, and we talked about this earlier, I think it was two shows back, and I want to emphasize this point again. There are so many people when they start their companies, and this is one of the challenges they have. In my experience with the women entrepreneurs, this is especially challenging, is that for some reason people have this reluctance to sell, like selling is dirty. And I can tell you right now is that if, if you're going to build a company, first of all, if you have a culture that somehow uh, selling is dirty, you've got serious problems. Um, you really do. Uh, because you're not going to get there, because what you're basically saying is the, the activity that is the lifeblood of the firm, the activity that produces your revenue and gives people an opportunity to use the great stuff that you make, um, you view in a negative way. I'm not so sure that's a pretty brilliant move. Also is that when you take a look at who you hire, who, who is probably the most critical person you'll ever hire? Well, I'll tell you right now, and that is your sales manager. Now, in the early stages of the business, it may be the salesperson, but I can tell you right now, sales management, if you've got the wrong people managing sales, you're, you're toast. You really are. And so I've always viewed sales as a service. We talked about this extensively uh, in an earlier show, and the, and the issue with this is that, look, if you've selected your clients correctly, and, and what I mean correctly is that you are selling something that is of benefit or value to them at a price point that they can afford, you are doing them a service. You are doing them a service. They've got a need. They're struggling to survive. They're struggling to solve their own problems. And lo and behold, here you come along and fix it for them. So sales is a very honorable profession, and I think that there should be a sales or a customer initiative in any strategic plan. If you want to go back and take a look at some notes around that, my recommendation is take a look at show uh, 597-380. That's the code that Blog Talk Radio uses. It's a show that we did on the 7th of July, uh, doing business in a new way as part of the characteristics of, of fast-growth companies. Okay, so that's the first one, customer-driven strategy. Number two is leader-customer contact. And what this what is this about? Well, this is how the leader, the owner, the executives in the firm develop the critical intuitive knowledge required to run the company. Uh, you may get a sense from me that I'm very much into quantitative stuff, stuff that you can put the numbers, uh, ongoing research that you know gives you reports and statistics and all that. I am. But I always viewed this as kind of a yin-yang um, uh, uh, play. Or a different way of saying is, is that the numbers, the quantitative research that you would do by, say, buying into a research, market research service, doing mar uh, yearly, uh, yearly market studies, is the skeleton. Those are hard numbers that you can use because one of the challenges you have over time as you collect data is how, can, how do you compare last year uh, to this year? 
or this year to two years ago. Well, without numbers, it gets difficult to do the comparisons. And so that is kind of the skeleton. But you only have half a body, and it certainly isn't alive. And so the other side of this is the qualitative information, the anecdotal information, the things that you learn from talking to customers, where you don't have a structured format, where you just basically ask a couple of pretty good questions and you listen. That's the flesh. That's the, the circulatory system. That's, that's the muscles. That's the thing that makes the body complete. Without that skeleton, you've got a blob. But uh, without this blob, you don't have a living being. And so how, how do you engage the customer and stay in touch? Because I do believe in kind of gut management, in that good leaders in an organization have an intuitive sense of when things are right, <clears throat> but they especially have an intuitive sense of when things are wrong. And long before there's a set of statistics or a set of numbers that says, hey, we got a problem, you just know it in your gut. Well, how do you know that? Well, if you don't have a baseline, you don't have a context, you don't. Now, we talked about these uh, in um, show 616209, a show that we did on the 22nd uh, of this month, which was a couple days ago on market intelligence. We talked about some of those avenues. So let me give you three that I think really work easy to do. One is the executive advisory board that we talked about in, uh, on the market intelligence show on the 22nd. And that, is, that was nothing more than a quarterly uh, luncheon, the, the, the way that we, I described it, a quarterly luncheon that you hold with the top executives of your top accounts and your top suppliers. And you do that for two reasons. One is to thank them for their business so that they understand that you really do value the fact that they uh, send you checks on a timely basis that don't bounce. But also, number two, is an opportunity to run more strategic issues by them, uh, what your plan is, uh, what you're trying to do in improved service, um, asking them questions around, are, what, are, we really try, are we really providing the value to you that you need? Is there something we could do to improve either what we sell you or how we sell you or how we service it? And so that advisory board is critical uh, to the firm, and it's a great place for you to get intuitive knowledge as well as build a relationship with these executives because one of the things that I would want to have happen long before I get the phone call we've been fired because something went wrong, because in the business, in a B2B business, you're selling other businesses, and I, I will guarantee you things go wrong, as most of you who've been in business for a while know. I would want that executive, my peer on the other side, to call me on the phone and say, hey, we just had a screw-up over here, and let me tell you what happened so you get some time to fix the damn thing before they go, look, we're not going to do business with you anymore, and now you're in recovery mode, which usually uh, destroys all your goodwill, but also, number two, costs a lot of money to get the account back if you can. And number two, and we talked about this in show 577303, which was on the 26th of June, and this had to do with growth stage two. And really, that is executive involvement in sales. If you recall that show, when we talked about growth stage number two, where cash is king, and it's all about sell, 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 is that in those early days, the executive, more than likely, if there's just you, just the owner, there's only one executive firm, you have to be the major salesperson. If there are a couple of owners in the firm, a couple of executives, one of them is going to have to be in the middle of sales because nobody can sell like the executive. 
Uh, and the reason for that is in the early stages of your company, people are taking a risk of buying from you because you don't have an established track record. They don't know if you're going to be around, whether you, especially if you sell them something that requires some servicing or you sell them something that's critical to their business. How do they know they should take the risk? Well, the only way that's going to happen is the personal relationship that they build with you as the owner. But also after that, we talked in the following in, in the show after that, which was show um, uh, five seven seven three zero nine on the 29th of June, and that is as you move into growth stage three and you say, okay, you're making that adjustment to kind of go, okay, what do we do next? And we call that the next act is that that executive needs to get out of the sales role um, formally and get somebody to replace them, but you still stay involved. And so it's it, this is more now about how does the sales force use you as the owner or the executives of your company um, in the sales process to help close the deal, to build a relationship, etc. I think all the executives in the firm should have some responsibility, some role in sales. Not as salespeople, but in the sales process itself. And then number three uh, is a term that is one of my favorites that was coined by Tom Peters um, almost uh, 30 years ago, and I believe it comes from In Search of Excellence, which was published in 1981. But uh, its date doesn't make it bad. In fact, its date means that it has some real currency if it's still around. And that is management by wandering around. And that a certain part of your time as the owner executive should be about just wandering, not doing anything, not managing, not telling people what to do, but wandering, wandering around sales to see how things are going and talking to people, wandering around production areas uh, where things are made, find out what's going on, wandering around talking to the customer service people, but also wandering around with your clients. I think if, you're, if you've got the type of business where the client has bought things of yours that they're using, yeah, it may be pretty smart for you to wander over there occasionally and talk to them and say, hey, how are things going, you know? How are we doing for you? Is this something we could do better? And that type of stuff gives you that intuitive knowledge that when you, you just... After a while, and everybody out there that's been in business a while, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get into a circumstance, and all of a sudden, you get that feeling in the pit of your stomach, and you go, uh-oh. You don't get that by sitting in your office. You don't get that by handling inboxes. You don't get there in any way other than being there face-to-face. So that's the second. So let me take a break here for a second and just talk a little bit about us as a company. Um, as I did in my intro, when I talked about Applied Knowledge Labs, uh, I mean, basically what we do is that we provide our, we, we try to be a resource for the business owners or the executives of uh, startups and fast growth companies up to a, uh, $50 million who are trying to find out how to get there. Because the information that we have, here's my guarantee to you, you will learn what we know. Now the question is, can you stay in business long enough to learn it? That's the first one. Uh, knowing the track record of how many companies do not make it into their fourth or fifth years. Uh, number two is that's a very expensive lesson. And typically why most serial entrepreneurs don't make it until the third, the fourth, or in my case, number five, this is my fifth startup, um, is because it takes you a period of time, including a lot of failure, to figure out how to get it done. Well, if that's okay with you, then continue to do what you're doing. On the other hand, if you want to short circuit that and say, hey, look, if there's a quicker way to get there, is there a quicker way to turn my dream into reality, um, I, need, I need to get that type of assistance, that's when you want to talk to us. And we'll show you 
how to aggressively grow your business, give you a script that you can turn into your own that says at this stage of growth, we do this, at this stage of growth, we do that, and help you ramp up faster. Now, will we eliminate all your problems? No, we won't because it's impossible to do. If it was that easy, everybody would achieve it. That's why only about 1% of the population of this country are really people who should be entrepreneurs and are very, very successful at it. So what you can do is you can contact me at eastman at aklabs.org, or you can contact me on my Skype hotline at 804-471-1660. And what we have to offer are a couple things. One is an organizational assessment that will tell you what is your readiness for growth if you just want a general checkup. Number two is that if you've got a specific issue, whether it's around uh, customer enthusiasm, employee engagement, product quality, uh, customer service, uh, all of those issues, then we have some surveys that will give you that data. And the reason that we use that approach is the quickest way to put the data in your hands. We're totally product-focused, uh, and we are data atheist. And what I mean by data atheist is that I don't care what your data says. Um, you don't have to defend it with us. Our job is to say, here it is, and give you the most accurate picture possible. So that's how you can get with us, and all that stuff is on our um, show page. So on, let me take you now to uh, number three. And the third attribute of this best practice of product to knowledge is this, and that is client development. And this is improving the profitability of existing accounts with the same diligence as you would improve the quality of your products or the, or the quality of your customer experience. It is a major failure point of young and small business development. I, I, you know, it's called business development to a lot of people. You can call it client development. The terms don't really matter. But when we, I just recently, the stunt research I did, I just recently looked at a report that was done by an organization I have a great deal of respect for, and they said, what are the seven failure points of um, small, fast-growth companies, and the number one on the list was business development. And what this, what this is really about is that it's not a single issue. It's, it's several. One is this requires an investment in the infrastructure, such as having a CRM, okay, and processes in the company to how do you upsell or grow with an existing account. Some of you call it organic growth. But typically what happens, all of our sales effort is, putting out, is put into new accounts, which is very costly. The cost of sales of going after new business is tremendously more money than um, growth within existing accounts. And so how do you put those processes together to support and provide post-sale service? And that money is usually, um, how do I say this? Those dollars spent there go much further than dollars spent on bringing in new customers because typically most companies have a close ratio of unqualified leads to close contracts of about 100 to 1. And as I've been doing, uh, the two shows that indicate uh, the hit up on that, one is the Cash is King show, which is, which is uh, Growth Stage 2, that is show 577303, which we did on the 26th of June. And uh, the third one, uh, stage, Growth Stage 3, which is the next act, which is show 577309, which we did on the 29th of June. Okay, let me take this down now to the fourth attribute, which is market research. And what is the market research that we're talking about here is real simple. It's comparing current and future competitors. In other words, 
you're looking to see where do we stand against people who are competing against us currently in the market, and is there any new entrants coming in? And I guarantee you that if you are not looking for new entrants, more than likely you'll miss them because they come from strange places. Um, number two is who are the best and worst customers out there? Now, and when I say best and worst, I really mean most profitable, least profitable customers. And that really fits in the best and worst because typically the customers that are least profitable are customers that are very difficult to service in that you may make a lot of money from them in the initial sale and then you spend a lot of manpower and labor in, um, in trying to keep them happy. And so as you look at the marketplace, who has the most profitable customers? Who has the least profitable customers? And if the majority of the least profitable customers are in your camp, you've got some work to do. What you want is you want to have the most profitable customers. And in fact, uh, a good strategy is your least profitable customers, send them to the competition. Uh, they'll have great fun trying to figure out what to do with them. Okay. And then the third comparison you do here is between the best and worst uh, products or services available. In other words, when you look at what, what people are buying, who has got the best products and services, who's got the worst products and services. Now, that's what, this is why you do ongoing market research. That's why it's a, uh, an integral part of the business and the strategy, and it is your core responsibility as owner executive. And I don't want to hear anything while I'm busy. Uh, we're all busy. I, I start my day at 3.30 in the morning. I work until 10 o'clock at night. I have a number of responsibilities. I, so if you say to me, I have long days and I'm really busy, trust me, I get that. But the bottom line here is that if you are not paying attention to market research, and I'm not talking about you doing it. Now, in the early stages of the firm, you might have to do more of this than you really like. What I'm saying, though, is that you've got somebody doing it either internally or externally, like buying uh, market research from uh, somebody who provides those services, is that some part of your day, week, or certainly your month better be spent looking at that data and saying, gee, what does it say to me? What is the significance? How can I, um, uh, how can I create some value from the company uh, from this information? And we talked about this specifically in terms of the management role and that focus in show 597-402. And that show was outmanage the competition, and it's a show that we did on the 14th of July. And so those are the four attributes. So let me summarize for you, is that these are the four attributes of fast-growth companies, okay? These pretty much have at the, at the essence, at the core, these are executive or owner roles. Either you're doing the work in the early stages of the firm or in the later stages of the firm, you are supervising it, but you are, you are the number one consumer of these attributes. They are your responsibility. If they're not happening, it's your fault. It's not anybody else's. And that it should make up some significant part of your day, your week, or your month. And so those, that's how that fits in. And uh, the last thing I want to say about uh, the product to knowledge best practice, when we, did the, when we talked about this category called market intelligence and we said there were three best practices in their competitive landscape, product to knowledge, targeted industries, which is tomorrow's show. Competitive landscape is predominantly an externally focused issue. You're constantly screening and trying to get a handle on what's going on out there, which was uh, yesterday's show. Targeted industries, which is tomorrow's show, 
And what targeted industries is is based upon putting uh, based upon looking at the competitive advantage that you identified. It's how do you and which companies do you select? I'm, excuse me, not companies. Industries do you select that have either underserved or unserved needs that have the potential for high economic return? This is also an external focus, and it's pretty much a way of looking at another way of doing research. This one, product to knowledge, is a balanced approach. This is kind of saying, I'm learning stuff inside, what does it mean outside? Or I'm learning stuff outside, and what does that mean inside? And so those are the four, that's where we're going to be taking the show. Now one more, one more thought on this as I kind of close this out on product to knowledge, and is the, the issue of I don't think you can have too much infrastructure, and that um, and when you start a business, obviously you've got to you've got to really be cautious about where you put your money. Uh, for example, one of the rules of thumb that we use here is that if it is a service that does not have revenue tied to it, then we try to do it for free. Uh, just take a look at this Blog Talk Radio. This is a great organization. We love their we love their offer. It's totally free, and that we don't charge for this radio. They don't charge anybody for doing that, for doing it, so we do it for free. You look at YouTube, look at blogs, and so I would say to you is that the, the stuff that's easy, that, that you don't have any uh, money tied to, what you would want to do is go to free services, but the stuff that is core of the company you want to pay for, the CRM uh, is one, and I think that without that infrastructure, without that CRM, and without purchasing some market research services from somebody, it's going to be exceedingly difficult for you to do anything around market intelligence. So with that, what I'd like to say to you is have a great business day. Uh, tomorrow's show is going to be on uh, picking at the right industries, and so wealth and prosperity to all. Have a great business day.